All right, well, we're there in 1 Kings chapter number 12, and uh, today we're finishing up our uh, series on the subject of pride, and uh, we're going to get into the story a little bit, and we'll, we'll make some connections. You'll see how maybe it uh, applies to the idea of pride, but if you look at verse number one, the Bible says, and Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Remember King Solomon, the son of David? Uh, Rehoboam is, is the son of Solomon. The Bible says he went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. So Solomon's father has died, and Israel is coming together to make Rehoboam uh, the king. Look at verse 2. And it came to pass when, now don't get confused, this is Jeroboam, all right? Rehoboam is different than Jeroboam, all right? Now, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Jeroboam is Solomon's enemy, all right? So it says, when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it. Now notice, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, okay? He he ran from Solomon, but now Solomon's dead because he he was against Solomon. And Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, verse 3. That they sent and called him, and Jeroboam, Solomon's enemy, and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, Solomon's son, saying, Thy father, now notice what they said. They said, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now that term yoke, what they're, they're saying there, because a yoke is a, 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 something that you would put on the shoulders of, a, of an ox or an animal to plow and to work with. And what they're saying, when they use the word yoke there, they're referring to the workload that Solomon had put on them. And he said, Thy father made our yoke grievous. He said, our, your father, Solomon, made, our, uh, made us serve him in a very difficult, in a very serious way. Now, notice what they say. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service. Know that word service? He said, make the grievous service. They're saying, how we served your father, Solomon, of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter. They said, your, your father's yoke was heavy. They said, your father's service was grievous, but will you make it lighter? Notice what they said, last part of verse 4, and we will serve thee. Here's what they're saying to their new potential king. They're saying, can you help us? Your, your dad made things very difficult for us, and your dad made things very hard for us. And the burden that he laid on us and the burden that he put on us was very, very hard. And they come to King Rehoboam and they say, can you help us? Now notice how he responds, verse 5. And he said unto them, depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. He said, give me three days to think about it and I'll have an answer for you. Verse 6. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old man and stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, how do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and will, notice, serve them. Okay, now I've heard people preach this before, and they'll say that Rehoboam did the right thing. That he shouldn't have gone with the advice of the old men. That it was right for him to go with the advice of the young men. And they were saying, the old men, you know, they were backslidden, and they were, you know, they were with Solomon. But, but I, I disagree with that, and here's the reason why. The old men are basically teaching him the exact same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ thought, taught about leadership, which is, as leaders, we are to serve those who follow us. They are teaching servant leadership. Notice what they said, verse 7. And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people, this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. They said, if you serve them, they will be grateful. 
they will be, uh, uh, they will respect you. They will appreciate you. They will admire you. They will see you as someone who's great, and they will willingly submit themselves, not because you place a yoke upon them, but because they want to follow you, because they see you as a great leader, as a great king. Look at verse 8. But he, Rehoboam, forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men. So he asked his buddies that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them. Now, now here's their advice. Notice, they said, here's what you should say to them. Say to them this, My little finger, talking about his pinky, he says, My little finger shall be thicker than, the, than my father's loins. They said, go to them and tell them, your pinky is going to be thicker than the waist of your father. And here's what they mean by that, verse 11. And now whereas my father did lay, the word laid means to burden someone. Wherefore my father did lay you with a heavy yoke. He says, I will add to your yoke. My father had chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Now the advice that they gave him was advice that they'd probably gotten from the world. And I want you to see the connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your finger there in 1 Kings chapter 12. But go with me to the first book of the New Testament, uh, the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 20. Matthew chapter number 20. See, the Bible tells us and teaches us about leadership, and it teaches us about a word that I want to preach to you this morning, about being great or about possessing greatness. Now, the problem is that the world defines greatness as self-serving. Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse number 25. Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 25. The Bible says, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles, notice this with these words, exercise dominion over them. Now, that word dominion, that's where we get the word to dominate someone or to dominate over. He says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are, notice this word, great, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? He says, in the world, in society, in, in a secular type of mentality that's a, a, away from Christianity, away from the Word of God, away from the way that God would have us to think. He says, in the world, people see greatness. People see someone great as someone who has dominion and authority over others. As someone who possesses authority over someone. And we started this series three weeks ago talking about the fact that usually we measure success and we measure greatness and we look up to people and we want people to look up to us. And we usually, you know, associate it with these things, our position or our possessions, our prestige or, 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 or the place that we hold in life. And when someone has a, 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 a position of authority, or when someone has a lot of possessions, they have a lot of money, or maybe they have a lot of prestige, we want that because that lends itself to people looking at us and admiring us, or, or having to run their agenda by us, or whatever that might be, and it all lends itself to pride. See, the world defines greatness as self-service. 
The world defines greatness as how many people admire me, how many people look at me, how many people serve me, how many people want to be me, how many people envy me. That's how the world defines greatness. And if you need, if you, if you need a case in point, look at every rock star, look at every athlete, look at every politician that our world has made you know, uh, famous. Every single one of them is arrogant. Every single one of them is boastful. Every single one of them thinks the world revolves around that. Because the world's definition of greatness is this, that the princes, the leaders, exercise dominion over them, and they exercise authority upon them, and that's what the world considers great. But I, I, I want to explain something to you. And if, keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 20, because we're going to come right back to it. But go back to 1 Kings chapter 12. The truth about the world's definition of greatness is this. It doesn't cause people to admire you. It may at first, and it may for a little while, but it doesn't cause people to respect you. It doesn't cause people to love you or to be grateful for you or to appreciate you. All it does is cause people to despise you. And when Rehoboam returns to the men there and gives them his answer, We'll skip some of the verses for sake of time, but look at verse number 19. Notice the result of this story. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 19. So Israel rebelled against the house of David. Now the house of David is referring to Rehoboam, because remember, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, who was the son of David. So they're, they're saying the, the household of David. Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass, when all Israel heard that, remember Jeroboam, Solomon's enemy, was come again. That they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him, not Rehoboam, but Jeroboam, king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. They had a split. They said, we're not going to follow you. You, you, you. you want to exercise dominion over us? We've had enough of that. We had enough of that with Solomon. You want to exercise authority over that? We've had enough of that. You don't want to serve us and you don't want to help us and you're not looking out for us, then we don't need to follow you. And they rebelled against him and they found someone else to follow. And I want you to understand, the sermon this morning is very simple. It's just a couple of statements, but I want you to understand as we lay this foundation. Do you know what has, happens to the husband? who gets this idea that his wife's purpose in life is to serve him. And listen to me. The Bible teaches male leadership in the home, and we're going to look at some verses, and we're going to talk about it. But what happens to the husband who thinks that when God gave him a wife, God gave him a slave, that when God gave him a wife, you know, his job was just to come home, put his feet on the table, and just be served hand on foot. What happens to that husband is that eventually, eventually, his wife doesn't love him, his wife doesn't respect him, his wife just ends up despising him. Because women despise husbands who are interested in only serving themselves. You know what happens to the wife? It goes both ways. You know what happens to the wife that disrespects her husband, that treats her husband as a tool to get her to maintain comfort? The wife that's only interested in serving self? The wife that doesn't, you know, carry her, her side of the, of the deal or doesn't do, you know, the, the, the husband that has to work all day long and then come home and make dinner and do the laundry and clean the house because the wife is too lazy to take care of those things when she's not working. You know, the wife that just sees her husband as a tool for her comfort, you know what ends up happening to that wife? She's despised by her husband. You know what happens to parents who ignore their children for a career or for entertainment? Or maybe single parents who put more emphasis on their dating life than on their children. 
You know what happens to parents? Because children aren't dumb. Children understand when they're not the priority, when they're just in the way, when you wish they weren't around. You know what happens to parents who put other things before their children and just live a life of self-service? I'll tell you exactly what happens. Those children end up despising their parents. I mean, you know what's true. You know what happens to the employer who mistreats his employees? You know what happens to the employer who takes advantage of his employees and only sees them as a profit margin and only sees not what he can do for them but what they can do for him? You know what happens to that employer? People talk bad about him behind his back, and they shouldn't do that. People despise him. People hate him. Because here's what you've got to understand. The world's definition of greatness, which is to get people to serve me, which is self-service, which is to exercise dominion, which is to exercise authority. The world's definition of greatness does not get people to see you as great. It only gets people to despise you. Can you go back to Matthew chapter 20? Look at verse number 20. And you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why are you preaching this in a pride sermon? And it's, it's, it worked out great because we're, we're talking about two things. We're talking about pride and we're talking about serving. Today being Worker Appreciation Sunday. But before we beat up too much on Rehoboam, before we beat up too much on anybody, let's just get one thing straight. There's something we all want. See, we all desire to be great. Are you there in Matthew chapter 20? Jesus taught this lesson about greatness, but you got to understand the context from which he taught it. Look at verse number 20, okay? Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, all right? Now, I would submit to you this morning that the love of a mother is the most sincere love you can find on this earth. I mean, other than the, Lord, than the love that God has for us. But here, even in the most sincere love you can find from a mother for her children, notice she, what she asked. She says, the mother of Zebedee's children came to Jesus with her sons, worshiping him, notice these words, and desiring a certain thing of him. She wanted something from Jesus. And I would submit to you this morning that she wanted the exact same thing that we all want. Look at verse 21. He said unto her, what wilt thou? He says, what do you want? She saith unto him, that my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Now you and I can say, well, that's very unselfish, but you know, the emphasis is on this. My two sons may sit on thy right hand and on the left hand. See, she, she wanted her sons to have a position of greatness. She wanted her son, I mean, it's no small task that she's asking for. She's saying, Jesus, when everything's said and done, when we're up in heaven, you know, and you're sitting on your kingdom, can you have my two sons sit on your right hand and on your left hand in the most prominent place in the universe? Can you give my children a position? Here's what she's asking for, a position of greatness. She wanted her kids to be great. Because in some ways, it would make her great. And before you get mad at her, because notice the disciples got mad at, at her and at, at, at her uh, sons. Look, at, look down at verse number 24. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. They got all upset. I can't believe you would bring your mom to ask Jesus. Now look, it's easy to look down on others for wanting to be great. But the truth is, it's something we all want. And it's very hypocritical of the disciples to be mad and moved to the indignation against the two brethren because their mom asked for greatness. Because it, go to Matthew chapter 18, just a couple pages over. Just earlier before this event, notice what all the disciples are talking about. Matthew chapter 18, look at verse number 1. Matthew 18, verse 1. And the same time came the disciples unto Jesus. Now notice, this isn't you know, Zebedee's mother. This is all of them. Then came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
Now, in Matthew 18, they asked the question to Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But Mark gives us a little more insight as to how this came about. Go to the book of Mark, just real quickly. You're there in Matthew. Next book over is Mark. Mark chapter number 9. Look at verse number 33. Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 33. Notice what? Notice how this question came about. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And he, talking about Jesus, came to Capernaum. And being in the house, he asked them, talking about the disciples, notice what he asked. What was it that ye disputed among yourselves, by the way? Jesus says, hey, I, I heard you guys arguing about something while we were traveling. What was it that you were arguing about? What was it that you were disputing about? What was it that you were, you know, uh, having a, an argument about? Notice verse 34. But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. They're all mad at, you know, James and John and, and the mother of Zebedee's children because, because she's asking for a position of greatness. But just a few chapters earlier, they were all fighting about a position of greatness. Because you've got to understand this, whether you would admit it or not, we all desire a position of greatness. We all want to be respected. Isn't that true? We all want to be appreciated. Isn't that true? We all want to be acknowledged. We all want to be looked up to. We all want to be admired. There's something in all of us that desires greatness, which is why we emphasize positions, which is why we emphasize possessions, which is why we emphasize prestige, which is why we emphasize where we live and what we drive and who we go out with and and the things that we do. Why? And we drop names. Why do we do those things? Because we all have a desire. For greatness. But what I love about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he takes this idea of greatness, this idea of of, of the expectation of I want to exercise authority, I want to have dominion, I want all the heads to turn to me when a decision needs to be made. I want everybody to acknowledge that I am the most, you know, knowledgeable at work, or I am the one who's been here the longest, or I am the smartest person in the room. I want everybody to acknowledge that I'm in charge, that I'm the boss. I'm large, I'm in charge, and I want everyone to know it. What does that in us is a desire for greatness. But Jesus steps in. If you make your way back to Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 26. I I love what Jesus does because Jesus redefines this idea of greatness. Because the world sees greatness as exercising dominion over others. The world sees greatness as exercising authority over others. Rehoboam thought that greatness was to tell people, I will be tougher, I will be meaner, I will be harder, I will be more profitable than my, than my uh, father Solomon. But all it got was people to despise him and rebel against him and to hate him. And Jesus redefines this idea of greatness in verse number 26. Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 26. Notice what he says. He says, but it shall not be so among you. He said, the the world, the Gentiles, the princes of this world, they exercise dominion, they exercise authority, their definition of greatness is how many people serve me, how many people uh, look at me, how many people admire me, how many people respect me. But Jesus says, but it shall not be so among you. He says, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, it shall not be so among you. Now notice what he says, he redefines, redefines greatness. But whosoever will be great, you see that word? what we all want. But whosoever will be great among you, notice what he says, let him be your minister. The word minister means servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, notice how the Bible defines itself, 
Let him be your servant. See, Jesus stepped into the, 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 the pages of, of history and he redefined greatness as this idea. And, and he taught this. He said, what if true greatness, what if true greatness was defined not by how many people serve me, but how I serve others? Amen. What if true greatness was defined not by personal success, not by possessions, not by prestige, not by positions, not by what, how personally successful I was, but how I help others? To succeed. He redefines greatness as this idea that is not self-serving, but it is to serve others. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me just real quickly. Ephesians chapter 5. You're there in Matthew. You go past the book of Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, you preach sermons like these and guys start getting, they start getting nervous. They're like, Pastor, you're not helping me out. You're supposed to tell my wife she's supposed to submit to me. Now, the Bible does teach that she's supposed to submit to you. But what I want you to understand is this. Servant leadership does not contradict leadership. Being a leader who serves those who follow him does not make you any less of a leader. In fact, it fulfills your position as a leader. Are you there in Ephesians chapter 5? Look at verse number 25. Notice what Jesus said to husbands. See, husbands, being a leader... Who said, and here's the question I have, and here's the question, and I'm not telling you I'm the expert on this, because you can ask my wife, I am not. But the question that I want to leave you with this, this morning, and the idea this morning, is for you and I to wake up every day asking this question, how can I help others succeed? What if you as a husband were to wake up every day and ask, how can I help my wife succeed in her role? What if a wife were to ask, how can I help my husband succeed in his role? What if a mother or a father woke up every day and thought to themselves, how can I help my children succeed? What if a pastor or a pastoral staff or, 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 or volunteers at a church or, or different people woke up every day? How can I help other people, other church people, the lost? How can I help them succeed? Because here's what you got to understand. True greatness is found not in how many people serve you, but how you serve others. And, and it's found not in personal success, but how I can help others succeed. And it doesn't take away from your leadership. Notice many, Ephesians 5, verse 25, knows what the Bible says. Husband, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church. Now listen, Christ is the head of the church. Christ is in charge. Christ is is to be submitted to. But notice, in his leadership role, the Bible says that Christ loved the church sacrificially and gave himself for it. Now notice what he did. Notice what he did. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, verse 27, that he might present it to himself. Here's what Jesus did as a leader of the church, as a leader of us. He took people that were following him and he sacrificially served us that he might present us to himself. See, husband, what if your job is as the leader of your home? Not to have your wife be your servant and your slave who's supposed to bring you your iced tea and, you know, massage your, your feet when you get home from work. And, I, you know, and if your wife does that, hey, praise the Lord for it. You got a good wife. But, you know, that's, I'm not speaking against that. I'm just saying, what if your job as a husband was to make your wife a better person as a result of her being married to you? What if your wife, as a result of being your wife, was a better Christian, a better wife, a better mother, a better person, a godlier person, and it was all as a result of you waking up every day and asking this question, how can I help my wife succeed? 
He comes, Jesus, you say, well, he's the head, yes, but his job is to present us to himself. His job is to wash us by the water of the word. Notice verse 28, so ought men to love their wife. Now, now Jesus told us, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we think, okay, well, I'm supposed to die for my wife and sacrifice my wife. But many of us don't really understand that. So then, you know, because men are hard-headed. He had to say it twice. And he said it a different way, a way that we might get it better. Verse 28, he says, in case you don't understand what it means to love your wife in the way that Christ loved the church, here's a statement that will help you understand that every man will get. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Because see, I might not really know how Christ loved the church, but I know this, how I love myself. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. See, husbands, this doesn't take away from your position of leadership. And I'm not speaking against a position of leadership. I believe that men should, should lead the home, and they should be the head of the home. The Bible teaches that. We're going to look at the verses here in a minute. And I do think that there's an attack in our society against male leadership, and there's an agenda. I call it the wussification of America, <laughs> where they're just trying to make men to be effeminate. They're trying to make men to act like women, where they don't want men to lead. I'm against it. But listen to me. Leadership does not mean that my wife and my children serve me. Leadership means that I serve them. Leadership means that I help them. Leadership means that I wake up every day and ask this question, how can I help my wife succeed? What about you ladies? Well, notice, pardon, I'll leave you out. Ephesians 5, look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now, wives, listen. Just like the position of helping others, serving others, does not take away from the leadership of the man. In fact, it fulfills it in the same way. This does not take away from, the, from you as a person. Often women say, well, God, God expected me to submit to my husband. What am I, less than him, or what am I? But you've got to understand this. Not, it doesn't take away from you. It actually helps fulfill you. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Say, well, my husband doesn't deserve it. No husband deserves it. But you are to do it as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's clear. Even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. See, when a wife properly submits herself to her own husband, it actually helps fulfill her purpose in life. Keep your finger there in Ephesians chapter 5. Go with me just real quickly to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 2. First book in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. It should be fairly easy to find. Ephesians chapter... Uh, good night. Genesis chapter number 2. Keep your finger in Ephesians because we're going to come right back to it, okay? Genesis chapter number 2. Let me tell you something, ladies, about yourself that you don't know. And the only reason I know it is because the Bible says it. Because I don't know anything else about ladies either. Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet. You see that word meet there? That word meet, suitable. I will make him a help meet for him. Do you know that women were created? To help their husbands succeed? See, when you submit to your husband and you help him succeed, you, it's not taken away from you. You're actually fulfilling the role that God placed in your life. Good. When your husband succeeds at work, when your husband succeeds in ministry, when your hus- and, and too many couples are at odds with each other, and they're almost competing against each other. And some wives hope their husbands fail because it makes them look good. And some husbands hope their wives fail because it makes them look good. We're always waiting for that opportunity to kind of shine. But did you know that God created a woman? Don't don't miss this. To wake up every day and say, how can I help my husband succeed by submitting to him? And you say, well, why would God do that? But did you know that God created a man to wake up every day and to ask the question, how can I help my wife succeed 
And when you have a man who is interested in helping his wife succeed every day, and when you have a wife who is interested in helping her husband succeed every day, you will have an amazing marriage. Because true greatness is not found in how I can get her to serve me or how I can get him to serve her. True greatness is measured by how I serve others. It's not measured by personal success. It's measured by how I help others succeed. You're there in Ephesians. Go, go back to Ephesians, but go, go to chapter 6. You're there in Ephesians 5. Go to chapter 6. Let's talk about parents. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, God talks to the fathers here because fathers are probably the ones who struggle with this the most, but you can include women in this as well. I, I'm hot. Is anybody else hot? I'm always hot. Maybe we can turn one of the, the air on a little bit. I'm always hot. I know you guys are just, it's, all, it's either too cold or too hot. You guys are like Goldilocks, but, uh, but I'm, you know, maybe we'll just run the, the fans or something. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. And ye fathers, now, and again, this could include mothers. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. The problem is we often provoke our children to wrath. The way we treat them or the way we mistreat them makes them mad at us. But bring them up. See, your job is to minister to them, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, some of you dads and some of you wives, some of you moms, you have this idea that when God gave you a child, he gave you an indentured servant for 18 years. And, 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 your jo- and you, know, you are a good parent if your child does everything that you don't want to do. Now, listen to me very carefully. I think children should learn to work. I think children should have chores. I think children should have responsibilities. I think one of the reasons why we have so many lazy men today is because they weren't taught to work at a young age. But you need to wake up as a mother and as a father and realize that God did not give you children for them to serve you. God gave you children for you to serve them, for you to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible says that God gave you children that you might train them in the way that they should go. What would happen in your home if you woke up, mom, if you woke up, dad, every day asking this question, how can I help my children succeed in life? How can I invest? How can I train? How can I, how can I build relationships? How can I speak to my children in a way that will build them up and bring them up and train them for success? What would happen? Children. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. God doesn't leave out children either. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now, do you see that phrase there, with promise? There's an, actually a connection a promise. Listen, if you're, if you're a child, and what I mean by the word child is you live at home with your parents, okay? And I'm not minimizing. I'm just saying if, if you're in that position right now. The Bible says that to honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, what is that promise? There's a blessing associated. Look at verse 3. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Do you know that God actually put a blessing that things would go well with you and that you would live long on the earth if you obeyed your parents and if you honored your father and your mother? I mean, that's, that's quite... You say, well, they don't deserve it. Look, I know you're 14 years old and, you, and you're smarter than your parents. I, I get that, okay? I was 14 once and I thought I was smarter than my parents. And then I got married and I had kids and I realized, oh, wow, they're smarter than I thought. I know you're a teenager, and you, and you, and you're, you're, or you're 12 years old, you're a preteen, and you've got your parents figured out. But the Bible see, teaches that if you obeyed your parents, if you honored your parents, that God would make sure that things went well with you and that you would live long on the earth. Now, here's a question I have for you. 
What would happen? Kids, I'm, I'm not talking to the kids. What would happen if you woke up tomorrow and you said, Mom, I cleaned my room. Mom, I, I folded the laundry. Mom, I, 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 I fed the baby and I washed the dishes. What would happen if you woke up every day and thought, how can I help my mom succeed? How can I help my dad succeed? How can I obey and honor them in a way? I, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Your mom would faint. Your dad would call the police and say, somebody's quitting at my child and replace them with an identical twin that I didn't raise. <laughs> because my child was a brat. You know, that's, what, that's what would happen. I mean, what would happen if a child, woke up, a child woke up every day and said, how can I serve my mom, my dad, my siblings, Amen. my church family? What would happen? Maybe you're an employer. Or maybe you're an employee. Let's start there. Look at verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Servants. Now, I use the word servants. The idea is your job as a servant is to serve. And by the way, if you, if you take a paycheck from somebody, your job is to serve them. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. You say, I don't like those words. Those are words that God chose to use. But listen, at work, he's the boss. The word master just simply means he's in charge. Amen. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Okay, not talking about your master as God, but according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of, of your heart. Notice these words, as unto, the, unto Christ. You know what, every time you ask to submit to someone, you're asked to submit as unto Christ or as unto the Lord. Well, my, you know, my, my boss, he's inept. My boss, he's an idiot. My boss, I know more than my boss. It doesn't matter. You have to serve him as if he were Christ, as unto the Lord. Look at verse 6. Not with eye service, as men pleasers. You know what that means, eye service? It means when the boss comes around, you get to work, and you look real busy, and as soon as the boss is gone, you're like, oh, time for a break. He said, not, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service. Notice those words. Doing service, doing service, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. What would happen at your job if you went there tomorrow and you went with this idea, how can I help my boss succeed? Not, how can I get through another eight-hour day? Not, how can I get a paycheck and do the least amount of work? Not, how can I get away with an extra break or take an extra long lunch break? But if you woke up every day and said, I am here to help my boss, my master, my in the flesh, my employer, succeed. I'll tell you exactly what would happen. You'd become the most valuable employee of that job. When they needed to lay people off, you'd be the last one on the list. Maybe you're an employer. Look at verse 9. He doesn't leave the employers out. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 9. And ye masters. Notice what he says. Do the same thing as unto them. What same thing? To serve them. Because he just told them doing service. He told them to be obedient to them that are your masters. And then he turns around and tells us the master. He says, and accept their service. No. He says, do the same thing unto them. He says, masters, you serve the servants. And servants... You serve the master. He said, wives, you submit yourself to your husband. And, and husbands, you help your wife succeed. He says, children, you help your, your, your parents and obey them and submit to them. And then parents, you help your children succeed. And here's what he's teaching. If we're all trying to minister to each other, none of us would hate each other. I mean, could you imagine the job? Could you imagine the workplace where all the employees came into work every day and said, how can I help the boss succeed? And then the boss shows up to work every day and says, how can I help my employees succeed? Not see them as a profit margin. 
Not, not to try to squeeze just one last project out of them and one last, you know, out of every minute. But how can I help them? How can I promote them? How can I invest in them? How can I see? See, if we lived in that world, there'd be no wives rebelling against their husbands. There'd be no husbands leaving their wives. There'd be no children rebelling at the teenage years. There'd be no employees talking smack about their boss at the water cooler. There'd be no, you know, employer that's just frustrated with his employees. Because here's the thing. The world teaches us that greatness is associated with how can I get others to serve me. And Jesus steps in and redefines that and says, no, 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 no. True greatness is not measured by how many people serve me, but how I serve others. And true greatness is not measured by my personal success, but how I help others succeed. Go back to Matthew chapter 20. Let me give you one more verse and we'll finish up. Matthew chapter 20, look at verse number 28. You say, well, why, why, does, why does Jesus teach this? Here's why he teaches it. Verse 28. Even as he says, the, the, the world sees greatness as exercising dominion over others, authority over others. He says, it will not be so among you. He says, if you want to be great, if you want to be a chief, then you minister and you serve others. And then he says these words, even as. He says, in the same way that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. He said, I didn't come to be ministered. I didn't come to be served but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So you say, well, you don't understand my wife. I mean, if I tried to serve her and I tried to help her, she'd just take advantage of me. That may be true. Your wife say, well, you don't understand my husband. I can't submit to him. He is, he's going to just take advantage. You don't understand my parents. They, they really don't have a clue, and they don't know, and, and they're just taking advantage, and they're not, I'm not the priority. Or you don't understand my boss. He is just greedy, and he is just selfish, and he is just selfish. But here's what you got to understand. When you help others succeed, the benefit is that you are the most like Christ. And when people take advantage of you, and when people despise you, and when they crucify you and ridicule you and still don't believe on you when you resurrect three days later, you're just being like Christ. Because Christ served and Christ gave himself and Christ esteemed other better than himself, whether they accepted it or not. Because helping others succeed is being Christ-like. See, true greatness is not defined by how well others serve me, but how well I serve others. And greatness is not found in personal success, but in how I help others succeed. And if you would just think about it, you know that it's true. Think about the people through history that people admire. I mean, even the ones that weren't Christians or that weren't, you, you admire, you give special days to people who we think did something for the community. We look at the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and the Vanderbilts and the, you know, pe- you know these people that serve themselves, and we may know of them, but we don't respect them. We don't admire them. The Lord Jesus Christ, the most famous figure in the entire you know, world, 2,000 years, we're still talking about him. And what did he do? He served others. Amen. See, husbands, this does not take away from your leadership. 
Waking up every day and saying, how can I help my wife succeed does not take away from your leadership. It actually fulfills it. See, wives, waking up every day and saying, how can I help my husband succeed does not take from, away from you as a person. It actually fulfills your role in life. Parents, you waking up every day and saying, how can I help my children succeed? How can I train and invest in my children? How can I help them become better than I am and have a better rub raising than I had? doesn't take away from you. It actually makes you successful. Children succeed when they help their parents succeed. Employees succeed when they help their employers succeed. Employers succeed when they help their employees succeed. So here's a question I have for you this morning. How would it revolutionize your marriage, your parenting, your workplace, your relationships, your friendships? If you woke up every day and asked this question, how can I help fill in the blank succeed? Because, see, we all have a desire to be admired. We all have a desire to be acknowledged. We all have a desire to be respected, to be looked up to. But when you think that the world is here to serve you, it doesn't cause people to do those things. It causes people to hate and despise you, and they might respect you to your face, and they might smile to your face, but they don't think well of you. But you know the wife that will admire and respect and look up to her husband is the wife who says, my husband loves me, and I am his priority, and he's loving me like Christ loved the church. Because true success, true success is not found in how many people serve me. It's found in how I can serve others.